the near sideline. Trinneman is there. Makes the catch at the 30, 20, 10, and just like that! Touchdown Cougars on the first play of the game! Takes it down the right side of the lane, right to the rim, scoop, and a score! It rolls around and drops down. Takes this free kick and curls it inside the left post. What a goal! He's been on the headset for the last quarter century of BYU sports. Now, he's on BYU Radio every week as we go behind the mic with Greg Rubel. Here's your host, the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Good Wednesday evening and hello again, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Radio facility inside the BYU Broadcasting Building in Provo, Utah for our pregame edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Tonight's collection of interviews immediately precedes the BYU basketball Cougar tip-off, which will air live from the Marriott Center at the top of the next hour. So we'll go from my show to my play-by-play of the Cougars' annual intra-squad basketball game, joined by my longtime broadcast partner and a guest on last week's show, Mark Durantz. Mark and I will have the radio call of Cougar Hoops one hour from now. Wonderful to have you joining me tonight, whether live or on demand. If you are tuning in live, that means you are listening on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, or on the BYU Radio app. If you're listening after the fact, you're either on my Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel podcast feed on all major podcast platforms, or you are podcasting from our Behind the Mic show page at byuradio.org. You can also get every show archived for on-demand listening at that site. byuradio.org also has show pages, podcasts, and archives for our other weekly broadcasts, The Coordinator's Corner on Mondays and Satake Show on Tuesdays. Well, coming up on tonight's show, BYU's Deputy Athletic Director, Brian Santiago, this former Provo High, Utah Valley, and Fresno State Hoops standout, has been an important part of Cougar Athletics for the last 20 years or so. And tonight, we get to know Brian a little bit better as he joins me for an in-studio conversation. Later in the hour, former BYU running back and athletics administrator Jamal Willis is with me as we discuss his very interesting story of how a Las Vegas high school star with an offer to play at Nebraska ended up playing for and forging a lasting relationship with BYU. Jamal's interview is featured in tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment, sponsored by BYU alumni. But we start tonight's show with one of my colleagues here in the BYU Broadcasting Building, the co-host of BYU Sports Nation, who will also be on the job tonight at the Marriott Center. He is Jerem Jordan, making his second appearance on Behind the Mic. Jerem, welcome inside Studio 2. Hello, and that is one more than Mark Durant, so that's a, that's a plus. <laughs> I enjoyed that interview, by the way. I'm glad you did, because show. so did I. Yeah, I, I catch the show on demand, so I actually listened to it uh, this week, and I loved it. It was great. All right, so uh, we are going to be calling the basketball game tonight. Not together, mind yeah. you, but we are both going to be doing the same thing on different platforms for the Cougar Tip-Off. I'm excited to be involved in any way. I, I'm not on the broadcast team per se, but I'm the analyst tonight, and I've actually been the analyst a few times. But I'm excited about this. This is our first look on the court, bright lights, Cougars on the court, publicly, for the Cougar Tip-Off. And the juxtaposition of the expectation and discussion around this team versus last year could not be more stark. Last year was, are we making the Final Four in the next three seasons? This year is that, nothing, crickets, which I actually kind of like. There's not a ton of discussion with this team because we want to see what they can do. I think the fan base felt a little burned with the expectations. Eric Mika left. There's some kind of sour feelings associated with how it ended. But that is in the past. This is now. Heath Schreier's here. Bioy's older. Yoli Childs is a much better player. T.J. Haas, Nick Emery, Elijah Bryant, they're all in the program. 
incoming uh, you know, freshmen and return missionaries and transfers. Heath Troyer, they've injected life into this team. Now let's see what they can do. Let's see what the schematic and dramatic changes are for this team. I'm, I'm excited to see them tonight for the first time. Privately, uh, Dave Rose will tell you that uh, he has a lot of hope for this team and thinks it'll be one of his better teams. But I think from a public standpoint, expectations are perhaps minimal. The traditional third-place pick in, in the West Coast Conference, which BYU is kind of used to seeing and used to ending up at. And I still tell people, you can be third to St. Mary's and Gonzaga or Gonzaga and St. Mary's and still be a very good basketball team. The West, the West Coast Conference has been a three-bid league before. They can be a three-bid league again. And it'd be great if it were this season because I think St. Mary's and Gonzaga are locks to go to the tournament. Yes, uh, those are those are reloading squads. Rarely do you see a rebuild attached to, to either program. BYU lends a little more maybe to that side because of the loss of Eric Mika, but it is just the loss of Eric Mika. Most every other key component returns for this team. Remember that Kyle Davis left early last season, and L.J. Rose was never really 100% for most of the season. So you lose Eric Mika, but pretty much everyone you saw last year does come back uh, with a year under their belts, and hopefully Elijah Bryant comes back with a whole lot of health under his belt because I think he is a huge, huge part of of this puzzle we're going to see pieced together in the next few months. It's a team that really interests me because there's all kinds of groups. Dave Rose mentioned uh, on BYU Sports Nation this week, there are three groups on this team, and I've got to blend them together. They're the returning guys that you mentioned, the, the TJ, Nick, Elijah, Yoli group. There's the uh, you know JC transfers and freshmen, and there's the return missionaries. So I, I like the different kind of group that this is, and I'm excited to see a year later of – Maybe one of the back, best backcourts BYU has in terms of talent going into the season. I love the different skill sets and uh, abilities of Nick Emery and TJ Haas and Elijah Bryant. And I love what Yoli Childs has done in the offseason. This guy's a monster. Like I expect him to make the leap. And then there are all kinds of injections of of tremendous talent. And Jashir Hardnett's the guy that's been a thorn in BYU's side type. What can he do? What can he at least give BYU in practice, let alone on the court? Can BYU defend at a higher level? Can BYU make more threes? I think the answer is yes to all these questions. And being, like you said, in third place isn't that bad. Imagine that Gonzaga is Kansas, and imagine that St. Mary's is Iowa State. You'd be okay finishing in in third place if those two were in the league every year, right? But just because it's Gonzaga and St. Mary's, there's this idea that, well you know what, um, we're on their level and that's okay. Gonzaga just went to the national championship game. They're probably going to win the league almost every year. Now, St. Mary's is another one. I think BYU's more on St. Mary's level there. And, and BYU will win the league at some point. And BYU can be in third and make the tourney. And what if they make the NIT this year but take a step forward? I think the goal is to progress forward because guess what? You have one freshman. You have no seniors. This group is going to be together for a couple of years. Reading my uh, Blue Ribbon yearbook the other day, College Basketball Preview, and... Jock Landale is a first-team All-American in their book. He is very good. Is he that good? We'll find out. I think uh, St. Mary's, returning practically every key component uh, to their program that was very good last year, deserves the, the preseason billing they got in and the West Coast votes. Conference. Were you surprised by that? You can't vote for yourself, obviously, so Randy Bennett voted for Gonzaga, yeah. and everyone else voted. And, and you know Mark Few voted for Randy Bennett, yeah. and everyone else believes that St. Mary's is better than Gonzaga, yeah. which is, uh, I, I thought Gonzaga would get a few more votes. That's what I thought. The nine yeah. is the max, right? You can't yeah, have ten. You can't so get ten. I was like, the max? Wow. That's Surprising. Everyone said that everything St. Mary's has back tops what Mark Few will do 
with a group that is the, the cupboards far from bare in Spokane. They lost a couple good players, yeah. but they return a ton of good guys. I, I think that's a great <laughs> battle for the championship. And BYU, people need to remember this too. BYU would have been in that championship fight in the final couple weekends had they avoided the kinds of losses that torment them year to year. Yes. Because if you're good enough to go to Gonzaga and win in three consecutive years, you are good enough to beat the other teams that have gotten you in those same seasons. So so BYU's been very close to being where they need to be had they just handled the teams that St. Mary's and Gonzaga handle uh, a little more frequently. I think the, the novelty schematically and tactically will be interesting to watch. BYU's always, always, always one of those one, two, three, four top teams in the country in terms of shortest possession length. That will likely change Not this anymore. year. Yeah. The, the, the expectation is they won't be looking for simply the first best shot, but uh, maybe the best best shot. And that may take them a little later in the clock, which I think will be fun to watch. And then ultimately people are going to want to see the points per game allowed number and the points per possession defensive number and what that does with uh, Heath Schroyer joining the staff. So a lot you of fun things pap. to watch. Yeah. And then there's the points, points available, available percentage, yeah. which uh, my pet stat that I'll keep <laughs> up to date as the season goes along. People are like, oh, good. We love that. All right. Cougar tip-off, 7.05. Watch it with uh, Jeremy Spencer on uh, BYUtv.org and the YouTube. And then hear it with uh, Mark and me on BYU Radio right here, and uh, along with uh, ESPN 960. And then this weekend, we'll do it all again with football. BYU-San Jose State. A couple of thoughts about uh, the next line-in-the-sand game for BYU. Uh, both teams 1-7 and seven now. And uh, last week we said if it's if it's going to be against anyone, it'll have to be against ECU. It wasn't. And now we say it again. If it's going to be against anybody, it has to be against San Jose State. Yeah, if you think BYU is struggling, uh, Vegas thinks BYU is 13.5 points better than San Jose State, which is pretty wild. BYU 0-8 ATS this year. This is a week where BYU... Must win, and that's the understatement of the century. But BYU will get on track this Saturday. I really feel like it's going to work this week. San Jose State's had their struggles. They did put up 500 yards against Hawaii. They've been mixing it up at quarterback. A few playmakers here and there. But this is a game in which BYU needs to represent at home. Come out, get that second win. Now you got some confidence. And then we're talking about a, a much stiffer challenge at Fresno State. But there are some, several wins on the schedule to me. BYU's one and seven. I do not see this being a one or two win season. I'd be the, see this somewhere in the three to five or six range at this point. I think BYU wins Saturday, and I think they actually show us some heart at ECU. That's a long ways to go, not a huge excuse, but being at home, BYU should take care of business. All right, that's what we hope, uh, Jerem. Thanks for coming in, and Thank you. Uh, good luck on the call tonight. That's Jerem Jordan, and that's our opening segment on Behind the Mic tonight. When we come back, it's a conversation with Tom Holmo's right-hand man, BYU Deputy Athletic Director Brian Santiago. Stay with us for that. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYU and the BYU Radio app. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. The Santiago family name has been a fixture in Utah County and BYU sports for a few decades now. And Brian Santiago now assumes one of the top spots in Cougar Athletics as the Deputy Director of Athletics. Brian currently oversees 10 of BYU sports, including men's basketball, and has game management oversight for both the basketball and football programs. Over his years at BYU, he has served as the Director of Basketball Operations for Men's Basketball, before assuming roles as an Assistant, Associate, and Senior Associate AD, before his recent promotion to Deputy AD. 
as an athlete. Brian was a standout state champ at Provo High in basketball, and after playing baseball and basketball at Utah Valley, he transferred to Fresno State, where he was a conference leader in assists and three-point shooting as a point guard for the Bulldogs. And in addition to all of that, Brian has also been, from time to time, my fill-in broadcast partner on some BYU basketball calls. I recorded tonight's interview with Brian a few days ago, right as he was getting to leave for a relief work assignment in Puerto Rico. And it is a pleasure to hear from Brian Santiago tonight on Behind the Mic. Brian, welcome. It's great to be with you, Greg, as always. It's always nice to be on the radio. And not for the first time together with us. Not for the first time. All those great times we had doing basketball games and uh, watching you work your magic, it was always fun. Now, you're so closely aligned with BYU and with uh, Provo High School, Utah County. Take us to your upbringing. Was was Utah County always home for you and your family? Yeah, Utah County has always been home uh, for our family. My father's Puerto Rican and uh, grew up in the streets of New York. My mom's from Tooele, Utah. And uh, tell, my us dad, your, tell us your mom and dad's name. So my dad, Frank Santiago, and my mom, Ella Castaino Santiago. And uh, mom and dad met at BYU. My dad joined the church uh, after he joined the military. Uh, he ended up joining the church in Anchorage, Alaska. He was introduced to the church while he was in the military. Hmm. Uh, went back to New York and some great members of the church back in New York put some resources together and sent him out to BYU. And he ended up meeting my mom. And that's how you have a bunch of Santiago's running around Provo, Utah. But uh, it's pretty uh, pretty close to home right now with Puerto Rico and and the disaster of the hurricane that really wiped out the entire island. And so uh, myself and a couple of my brothers are headed down there for four or five days to help with some of the relief efforts and try to distribute some supplies and uh, trying to reach out to some of the people that uh, we're connected to down there. We do have some family down there. Back to your dad, uh, Frank, for a second. How much uh, of him is still the New Yorker in him, and how much is uh, is a Utah County guy for all this time? Well, it's once you once you have uh, New York City and specifically the streets of the Bronx in your blood, it never really goes away. We're all avid Yankee fans. We're all still really connected, uh, not only to the New York, but my dad's still got family there. Uh, he still has family in Miami, Puerto Rico, and so we, we, we keep it pretty close. But dad, when he converted to the church uh, and came to BYU, uh, this is home. Uh, this was like a total... A totally all-in response to him joining the church. He came out here and has been—he was totally converted. When the Spirit touched his life, he was all the way in, and it's kind of resonated with all of us, and we're all pretty committed. But Utah County's home, and this is home for most of us now and our families, and uh, I'm just lucky enough that my dad still lives in the same house. He and my mom raised mm-hmm. us in, and they're two streets away from where— uh, we live, Kim and myself and our mm-hmm. family. So it's just it's a blessing for us to be so close and to have him such a big part of our lives. You've talked about some of your brothers already. How many siblings in total? So there's seven of us. Uh, there are five boys and two girls. My oldest brother, Scott, played a little football here at BYU back in the day. And then Mark and Kevin both played on the basketball team. Uh, Todd came to school here and... Uh, Decided he just wanted to focus on the academic side. Ended up going to Harvard Business School after he graduated from BYU. And uh, my two sisters uh, both attended BYU and graduated. So six of the seven graduated BYU, and I'm the one that uh, went away to 
Fresno State, but it was a great blessing in my life, Greg. It's, if, had I not made that decision, uh, the blessing of coming back to BYU and being part of the athletic department for the last 20 years would have never happened. I think it was, I don't think it was by chance. And so Fresno was a great decision for me. Of course, I there uh, connected and, and uh, became close to Steve Cleveland. And when Steve Cleveland became the basketball coach at BYU in 1997, I came to BYU on that staff and finished my MBA and then moved over to the administration in 2001. So really feel blessed to to have the opportunity to be at BYU, even though I'm the one that didn't graduate from here. But I do have my MBA from BYU, so I, I count. Your athletic journey you know, at, at a high level really began at Provo High School. State championship in 1987, which is now 30 years ago. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, those are the... Those are the experiences that kind of shape you. You know, growing up, Provo High basketball was bigger than life ever since I was a young boy. I dreamed about playing and winning state championships at Provo High. I grew up sneaking in the gym and watching Devin Durant and watching so many of the great players that came through BYU, or came through Provo High. I uh, ended up uh, having a dream of playing. My brothers and I, we won state championships in our family in uh, 83, 85, 87. Uh, and, uh, I think they actually won one in 81 as well when Kevin was on the team. So there were four state championships in our family. Uh, but I played with the group of guys, pretty awesome. Uh, James Johnson was a great football player for BYU. I played with Mark Durant, who was a teammate and went on to have a great career at BYU in basketball. And, uh, and he's still around on the radio, I hear. Yeah, he's yeah. still around. Yeah. We get to see each other. And he's, you know, Mark was a great player, great teammate. We had some great teams at Pro High and uh, won a lot of games. I mean, I think I can count on one hand the number of games we lost in two or three years at Pro High while I was there. Since you'd had brothers who played for BYU, why didn't it work out for you to come here to BYU? You know, I, I thought I was coming to BYU. You know, back in the day, uh, Mark Durant, Sean Bradley, uh, certainly the Reeds, Ryan Cuff. There was a, there were a bunch of us that uh, Ken Roberts. There were a bunch of us that talked about coming here together and making a run. And uh, I thought that's what was going to happen. And uh, it actually turned out to be a pretty personal experience I had when I was on a recruiting trip to Fresno that I really kind of took just because I thought you know I'll go to California for a couple of days and check it out. I'm not going to go to school there, but I I'll go check it out and have a nice little weekend and. So I went down to Fresno, and and certainly they had all the LDS brass down there kind of laid out to help with the recruiting trip. But it was a real personal experience I had. still remember where I was in the back of a car driving down Blackstone Avenue where I had a pretty strong personal feeling that I needed to go to school at Fresno State, and it caught me off guard. And uh, so I started to pay attention on the visit and just listen to what they had to say and Gary Colson was the coach at the time at Fresno State. He's a name that people of BYU circles remember at New Mexico. He and I had become super close through the recruiting process, and he kind of always prefaced everything with, hey, I know you're going to BYU, but let's let's at least talk. Come check out our campus. But I had that experience. It was a very personal experience. And now looking back 20, 30 years later, it's it's an experience that – that uh, was very personal and was accurate. And I went there and had a great experience, had a lot of success. But it's really what opened the door for me in my career to come back to BYU and uh, some so very were, specific things. You were at peace then with not being the next Santiago to be at BYU then? Yeah, only because 
I'd always been taught by my dad to follow my feelings. And so when I came back from that recruiting visit and told my mom and dad what I'd felt and what I was thinking that meant, my dad and mom both said, you need to follow your feelings. And uh, if you follow your feelings, you'll be happy. And so they were very supportive. I'm sure it wasn't something they were super enthused about because they thought I was going to be here at BYU. But I, I, I followed my feelings, Greg, and it turned out to be just an an exceptional experience in my life. Some of the people that I met in Fresno have become some of my dearest, closest confidants and friends. Certainly my relationship with Coach Cleveland, the doors that that opened up for me to come back to BYU. I say come back because I grew up across the street. Yeah. don't think I missed a football game my entire life growing up. I, I really didn't. We were there every week and didn't miss any many basketball games either other than when we were playing. So uh, you know, it was just one of those things where it, it played out maybe in a plan that I think is personal and God had prepared for me and uh, has opened up some incredible doors, some incredible relationships, and and really just allowed me to follow a dream that I had as a young boy to, to be at BYU. I thought I was going to be at BYU. I just didn't know it was going to be this path for me to, to experience what the magic of BYU is. Your coach in Fresno was Gary Colson. You named one of your sons Colson. Not a coincidence. Uh, not a coincidence. Gary Colson uh, came into my life at a very, very important time. And uh, he and I struck up a relationship that uh, to this day we're very close. We talk multiple times a month. We vacation together at times. We play golf together. Uh, he's one of my dearest, closest confidants and friends and is somebody that had a tremendous impact on my life. He came into my life at a time where I had had those feelings and put a lot of trust in him. Uh, he'd made a lot of promises to me, and he made good on every single one of the promises, but more not so much the promises of basketball and what was going to happen on the court, just in my life. And uh, he had such a positive influence we had such a great experience together. There were some tough times. There were some great times, but I trusted him. He trusted me. He rolled out the ball to me and asked me to be his point guard for a couple of years, and we had some incredible moments and uh, continued that relationship, stayed very, very close. Uh, I think he was probably influential in me ending up back at BYU with Steve Cleveland when Steve got hired, and uh, we just stayed very close, and, and uh, we – uh, our second son, you know, we were kind of name searching and just kind of was clear to us that we wanted to name him Colson after Coach Colson. And uh, it's it's been fun. He and Coach Colson have a special relationship and stay close. And he is included in Colson's missionary letters mm -hmm. and kind of responds to him. So it's it's been a really fun, uplifting relationship. And his wife, Mary Catherine, and my wife, Kim, have become dear friends as well. So... To me, life's about relationships, and that's certainly one that had a tremendous positive impact on my life. You spent two seasons at Fresno State, 1992-93 and 93-94. You led the WAC in assists your senior year. You were among the national leaders in uh, three-point field goal percentage. The last game of BYU's 1993-94 season was an NIT game at Fresno State. Yeah, pretty emotional game uh, for me. I... I you know, my entire career at Fresno State, I just, the media members tried to get me to, you know, say negative things about BYU and bash BYU. I, and I'd always respond by saying, you guys don't understand, I love BYU. BYU's in my blood. 
uh, it runs pretty deep for me and my family. I made a personal decision to come play basketball at Fresno State. But uh, playing BYU was always super emotional. And uh, and people used to say that I'd, I'd get locked in for those games to the point where they couldn't really have conversation with me the days leading up to the games. And they were super competitive games. Those were all guys that I had competed against for years. And all of a sudden we were going at each other and and uh, we played each other four times that my senior year. The last year, 93, 94. Yeah, we yeah. played the two times home and away during the season. We played in the WAC tournament and then we played each other in the NIT. We were both NCAA-worthy teams and and uh, both got knocked out at inopportune times. Uh, a guy from UTIP hit about a half-court shot to beat us that cost us the conference championship at, at uh, Fresno, so we finished second. But we ended up playing BYU and then IT. It was a super emotional game. We got them at the end, close and, game, uh, very close game, and and certainly that was a that was awesome. And and uh, we we had a great year that year. That was the first twenty win season Fresno had had in about nine or ten years. I think we won twenty three games, if I remember right. But th- that was certainly a highlight. Uh, and uh, but like I said, it was emotional. And I, even after that game, people came and said. You know how does it feel? And I said it feels great to win, and I loved that we had uh, continued our season. But uh, wasn't like I wanted to to bury anybody. It just it was a great competitive game, and certainly, you know, those relationships you never want to burn bridges in your life, and those relationships are important. And I have great relationship to this day with Coach Reed, with Randy, with Robbie. Uh, I don't. That wasn't a personal thing for me. Not coming to BYU. I made a decision based on a personal feeling yeah. I had and, and followed my feelings. And uh, had I come to BYU, I'm sure I would have had a great experience. But uh, as it turned out, it was a great move for me to go to Fresno State. After Fresno, you played pro for a number of seasons. And you've already talked about the fact that uh, you got down to Puerto Rico and, and played uh, in a country that was close to your family's heart. Yeah. My experience in Puerto Rico was off the charts. You know, it's not a bad life uh, to play basketball at night, hang out at the beach during the day and and uh, really enjoy yourself. Uh, it wasn't a long-term thing uh, simply because at a certain point, you know, hanging out on the beach and playing ball at night, uh, you feel like you have more to contribute. Uh, but we, I played with my brother Mark on those teams in Arecibo. We were called the New Yorkans because we were uh, second-generation <laughs> Uh, Puerto Ricans, so we were allowed. Each team was allowed two New Yorkans. We were the two New Yorkans, and uh, we had we played with some great players, uh, some NBA players. Jawan Oldham was our center, if you remember that name from the Chicago Bulls. Uh, there are a number of the guys, uh, Piculino Ortiz, that played for the Jazz. That was kind of the generation. Some of the young guys at the time are the guys you see playing in the NBA now. The Puerto Ricans playing in the NBA. And uh, the Olympic team down there, I was on the pre-selection Olympic team to play in the 96 Olympics for Puerto Rico uh, when my back went out and I got hurt. actually ended my career and I ended up coming back to to uh, Provo and rehabbing a little bit and then went back to Fresno, finished up my degree. And uh, things played out the way they did. But we had an incredible experience at Puerto Rico. That was a great league and our team was excellent. We'd won the most games in the history of the league down there, got beat in the in the uh, national finals uh, right at the buzzer. So we just had a great experience and, and just it's a place that's close to us, close to our heart. We love Puerto Rico. It's a beautiful place. Uh, and uh, 
certainly we're looking forward to going back and and helping people that we love and hopefully bringing some relief. It's just absolutely uh, devastating to see what's going on in Puerto Rico. I mean, that that hurricane literally wiped out the island, and so uh, we're looking forward to getting back there. I I split the 1996-97 basketball season with Paul James. And then 97-98 was my first season full-time basketball play-by-play. So I started that at the same time you got back in at BYU with uh, with Coach Cleve. And so we, we, we rode out those early years together and kind of saw this thing get built back up. And you were a big part of it. You weren't yet in uh, in the athletics administration. You were in on the basketball staff at that time. Yeah, and those were those were incredible times as well. When we, Coach Cleveland took over the program. They were coming off a one-win season. And it was a, it was definitely a rebuild, and and they, they, uh, you know, I was really fortunate to come in at a time when, you know, they were investing in the basketball program and trying to rebuild, and so we came in, and came in here with Heath Schroyer, Dave Rose, Nate Call was on that staff, Steve Cleveland, and myself. There were five of us, and we really put our heart and soul into it, and it was it was not just to, you know, try to rebuild the on-court product we were trying to get the former players back involved we were trying to rekindle the history of that program trying to get fans in the building trying to get fans <laughs> back in the seats and everybody knows and it's it's one of the challenges of athletics if you if if your arena or your stadium empties out it's not easy to get fans back in the in there and so uh, we came in we we battled hard that first year just to get to the conference tournament, if you remember that. Minor miracle to it get it. It was a minor yeah. miracle going on the road and having to win games at New Mexico and at El Paso, which even with their best teams and with BYU's best teams through the years, those that's yeah. it's almost a miracle to win both those games. And that was just to get to Vegas. And that was yeah. just to get to the conference tournament. And we went down and broke that long win streak. Yeah in the pit and then went and had that triple overtime win at El Paso. Just the celebration was as if we had won the national championship. I'll never forget yeah. those feelings. But that was kind of, you know, a belief system. It's kind of the way we all lived. It was kind of find a way attitude. There had to be a way to rebuild it and to endure some of the adversity and some of those tough games. I mean, it was hard to walk on the floor most nights and know you kind of didn't have a chance. But our guys believed, and we we really kind of built something that year, and then it just started to started to happen, and you could feel the magic that second year, and then the third year we were starting to be super competitive, started having some big wins, and then the fourth year to actually get a piece of that championship. I still remember we were over in Air Force listening to the radio because us getting a piece of the championship had something to do with a game UNLV and Wyoming were playing. And I still remember Coach Rose and I were out in the parking lot trying to get a signal and the celebration we had together when we won that championship. It was magical. And we ran up to Cleve's room and pounded on the door, and he opened up the door. And, I mean, I think yeah. there were some tears that night. And, like, we finally broke through. And then, you know, the last several years have been pretty magical at BYU basketball. But just being a part of that, finishing with that championship, finishing my MBA, having the opportunity to move over, to the administration, I'm still to this day super grateful for Val Hale, who was the AD at the time, uh, Rondo before that, that they'd kind of opened up the door for me to get into athletic administration, which was my passion, what I wanted to do. And, uh, it, you know, I'm still super grateful for kind of how that parlayed. It's not easy to get into athletic administration around the country, and it's been a, 
it's been a huge blessing in my life and I'm super grateful. After the BYU basketball rebuild uh, got the Cougars back to the dance in 2001, that's when you moved into administration. Uh, you were the assistant and associate AD from 01 to 07, senior associate 08 to, till just now, and then just recently you were promoted and named the deputy AD at BYU. So congratulations uh, to you for that. Thank you. It's It's been a great, great experience. I, it's, it's hard to imagine how much time. Uh, not only that I've been here at BYU, but how much time I've had to spend with some incredible coaches and incredible programs. I oversee a number of the sports and, and I've had great interaction with so many coaches. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's nice to, it's nice to get some love. It was certainly nice to be named the deputy AD. Uh, I've always just looked at my position as one that I'm here to help Tom Homo be successful and then directly help the, help the coaches. And so I, I've, I've interacted with a lot of coaches. We've had a ton of success. We've had some tough bumps in the road, but it's, it's been a, it's been a joyful experience for me. I've had opportunities to leave and, and take some other jobs around the country, but I've chosen to stay here and I've chosen to stay here because of my relationships with the coaches and specifically my relationship with Tom Holm. We, we have a great relationship. He gives me a lot of autonomy, makes me feel like my voice matters here. And, uh, and we've really depended on each other for a lot of things. And I just feel like we're a great team. He doesn't treat me like I'm one of his subordinates. He treats me like I'm one of his teammates. And that's how we've attacked this thing. And uh, we've taken the charge seriously to try to try to keep BYU nationally relevant. We, we, we expect our athletic department to be exceptional and be nationally relevant, compete at the highest level and do it the right way. That was a charge that he was given, and I f- felt like I've been able to be a good good wingman for him. And uh, we, we do a lot together and very, very passionate about it. It runs – you can kind of probably feel it. It just runs deep for me. This BYU athletic thing runs super, super deep. And so uh, we're passionate about the success of this program, the success of this department. Right now we're passionate about helping Kalani uh, get this thing going where he wants it to go. You know, it's one thing, and I don't know if we're segueing into this, but I just want to I just want to say we're passionate about Kalani Satake being our head coach. We're passionate about the coordinators that he brought in. We love Ty. We can't forget that Kalani and Ty have, have seen and experienced success. They know what it looks like. They're not sitting in the room saying, hey, everything's okay. And we're passionate about helping them be successful. Uh, certainly with Ed and, and E. Tuiaki, we've got great people leading this program. They know what success looks like. We're not dealing with guys that have never dealt with success. And we're passionate about them being successful. We're going to help them. We're going to see see this through. Uh, hopefully we can find some momentum. We've got to find some momentum, get this thing headed in a direction that kind of helps Cougar Nation feel like, hey, okay, we can see it, and there's some mo, and there's some mo. We can feel it. We can thrive on it. We've got to find a way to do that, and uh, certainly uh, it's going to be a big challenge because we haven't seen it yet this year. It hasn't happened. Nobody's sitting around saying, hey, everything's going just as planned. It's not, And, and everybody owns that, but we've got to find some momentum. And certainly we hope in the weeks to come that this is something that people go, okay, we can see where this is going, and, and they're able to 
to find their way to some success to finish the season. Whether it's football or overall, where there are challenges, there are also opportunities. Do you see the opportunities as being promising for BYU moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, it's how I sleep at night. I believe that we belong in the upper echelon of college athletics. I think we're one of the nationally renowned athletic programs. I think that we have a future staying nationally relevant. It's it's why we do this every day, Greg. We've got to find our way into the game. I always use those words. I think that we're in a good situation right now with the WCC, but we've got to find ourselves in the game. And everybody knows that means a Power 5 conference, a power situation where you can compete day in and day out without compromising who we are. Everybody knows exactly who we are. We're not going to compromise that. We're not going to become something else to try to get into one of these leagues. We are who we are. We represent something that's pretty powerful uh, in the church, and we need to make sure we do it the right way. But there's no question about it. There's no way we can convince Cougar Nation that being in the middle of the road and not being in the game is okay. We have national championships to show in this athletic department in multiple sports. We have teams that are the best in the country. There's we cannot accept anything but greatness here. It's what it's this is we're building on the shoulders of people that have have given greatness to BYU and Cougar Nation. There's no way you can step back from that. We have to build on it. We've got to be nationally competitive and we have to be relevant. You look at what the teams we've got right now. Scott, we have some of the best teams in the country. We have some of the best athletes in the country coming to BYU that are passionate about this place, and it all starts with recruiting. Top to bottom, the only way you're going to be great, you can have the greatest coaches on planet Earth. If you're not getting the best recruits in the country, specifically the LDS recruits and then the non-LDS recruits that want to come to BYU for what BYU is, that's where it all starts and stops. Best coaches in the world can't coach mediocre talent. We have to get the best talent. And I think that's one of the areas that Cougar Nation's got to be excited about is Kalani Sataki and the rest of those coaches are excellent recruiters. And I think that's the hope of, of what's to come. So, yeah, I mean, I, I believe. You've been around me. You know I'm a believer. I see things in a positive light. I see things as glass half full. And I believe if you don't see things that way, you can never achieve success that is sustained and that's what we're shooting for brian it's great having you where you are and it's been great having you here in studio two on behind the mic thanks for joining us uh, safe travels to puerto rico and i'll see a lot more of you in the months to come yeah sounds great greg thanks for having me and that's byu deputy ad brian santiago coming up in our final interview segment on behind the mic for tonight former byu running back jamal willis is down with me for a conversation i know that you will enjoy we're back after this break with more behind the mic with greg grubel on byu radio series XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. Did you know that BYU has more than 80 alumni chapters worldwide? It's a way to connect with other alumni, help students in need, and help spread the influence of the Y all around the world. Most places have chapters where you live, and there are also chapters based on what your major was or even your profession. And chapters do great things, like helping provide financial aid for more than 400 BYU students this year. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. BYU alumni, connected for good. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Ty 
Detmer's final season as a BYU quarterback was Jamal Willis's first season as a BYU running back in the early 1990s. Over four seasons ending in 1994, Jamal Willis put together a career that today stands him fourth in all-time career rushing yardage at BYU with just under 3,000 total yards rushing and tied for third in career rushing touchdowns with 35. He's in solo third place in total touchdowns with 40. After BYU, Jamal enjoyed a season in the NFL with the 49ers and has since been a high school coach and educational administrator both at BYU and the high school level. In his spare time, he trains young athletes in the fine art of backfield running. Our time tonight with Jamal Willis is this week's Catching Up with the Cougars segment sponsored by BYU Alumni. BYU Alumni, connected for good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. And it is an honor to go behind the mic with Jamal Willis. Jamal, thank you so much for coming in. Greg, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure and such fond memories of your time at BYU because it more or less, this is kind of selfish, more or less coincides with when I got involved in the BYU football broadcast. My first year was in 1992, which would have been your second year as a player. So me just kind of getting into the swing of things as as the sideline guy came with you kind of coming into your own in the early 1990s. Let's back up to that time. You were from Las Vegas. Yes, correct. Bonanza High School. Bonanza High School, you're right. Were you born and raised in Vegas? Was that home for a long time? You know, I wasn't born in Vegas. I actually was born, you know, in Oklahoma City, a small town called Altus, Oklahoma. And I moved out to Vegas probably when I was, one, you know, my, when I was two years old. Basically, I've grown up, you know, uh, living in Vegas. So I, I'm a Vegas guy. <laughs> what kind of high school was Bonanza athletically? You know, they were a decent school. You know, I mean, they were they were never kind of a championship-level team, kind of a, more of a 500-type team, you know, uh, basically in all aspects of sports. You know, I played three sports, and, you know, it was just it was just a really good environment, really good school. You know, athletics were, were, were fine, you know, nothing, nothing great, but uh, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed Bonanza High School. You're in the West, so a lot of Western schools know about you. Who was really into you from a college recruiting standpoint, and how did you narrow your choices? Well, you know, that was a, a difficult time of life for me, you know. And, and the one thing, I think Nebraska was big on me. I mean, they wanted me from the start, right, um, just because of my size and, and other things. I think Washington and some other schools, you know, but those are the ones I really wanted to go to. I wanted to go to Nebraska, and then BYU kind of came in, you know, with other schools. And so I, I think Nebraska is where I had my mindset because that's where all the top running backs went. You know, they were winning national championships mm-hmm. back there, so I wanted to play there. You said it was a difficult time for you. You know, I think what made it difficult for me is is choosing the right school for me through the recruiting process. Because with my dad, I was getting a different uh, vibe from my dad. My dad said, yeah, Nebraska's a great school, great program, but I want you to go to BYU. I like BYU, you know, and, and we were battling, and it made it difficult. You know, it was kind of, I wouldn't say it strained our relationship for a week, but it really... Um, I think one of the reasons I ended up at BYU is because of my dad, because he saw a lot of things an 18-year-old wouldn't see, right? We're just seeing fame and, you know, I can go to the NFL if I go to Nebraska. And he saw so much more, right? And I, and I think the reason that I chose to come here was just because he saw what I didn't see. He saw the opportunity to, for growth, you know, as a young man, right? And the environment, you know, especially with this culture, you know, the LDS culture, he saw that, the, the, that side of it. If it were up to you and you alone, you would have gone to Nebraska? I would have. I wouldn't, ended, I, you know, I always, you know, I have this conversation, you know, with other people. I'd have ended up in Nebraska, you know, because I was looking at a lot of things that my dad wasn't looking for me to develop, right? I was thinking more football and NFL at that time. 
So why did your dad feel the way he did about BYU? What were the ties to it? Uh, LDS, non-LDS at that time? Non-LDS. Yeah. Knew, knew nothing about the church. Yeah. You know, so I thought that would be, you know, when coming up here, I thought would be, that would be the factor that turned my dad off. You know what I mean? We'd get up here on a recruiting trip, and that's the part that I think drew us closer, and my mom and dad closer to this environment because how the people were. You know, you know Lavelle, he was just an awesome guy, you know, and then the coaches and just the community. It was something that they never grew up in, you know, coming from Oklahoma. Meaning your folks. My folks, yeah. yeah. And it was something that they weren't used to, but it was a it was something good about it, you know. And I think that was the, the part where they said, you know, this is where you need to be, you know, I mean, because this is something that I'm not even familiar with, mm-hmm. you know. And it was one of those things where my dad said it was an uncomfortable feeling just because I've never been around so many people that actually truly cared about me. Right. And it was uncomfortable, but it was kind of a good uncomfortable. Like, this is new, you know. And so my dad wanted me to experience that, you know. And, and, you know, hindsight 2020, looking at it now, I mean, I'm thankful for my dad, you know, because who knows if I went to Nebraska, Mm. I don't know where my future would be. You know, I remember Tom Osborne back then when he found out I chose BYU, he faxed uh, uh, the contract basically saying, I know you're not going to like it up there in a year, so I'm just going to fax you this, and we'll still hold a scholarship for you. <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, not, <laughs> so it was one of those things where that was my backup plan, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought that was, so that's why my experience was kind of confusing, you know what I mean, as an yeah. 18-year-old trying to figure out what this world has for me and, you know, has in store for me. Okay, so how much of all this, uh, the appeal of BYU was Lavelle? You know, I think uh, a lot of it was. A majority of it was, let's be honest. You know, I, I think Lavelle, for me, and we always hear this, how he's he changed so many lives, right? And Lavelle, for me, I think for him to risk a chance on an inner-city kid, right, growing up in Vegas, and I think that was one of those things where I felt so out of place up here, but he made this place feel at home for me, Right. And and as my freshman year, there were times where I wanted to leave, where I wanted to transfer, you know. What a lot of people don't understand, my first game or two, I wasn't playing, you know what I mean? I mean, there was a time, that whole camp, I was just like trying to figure out the whole, the whole system and trying to fit in in this culture, and I was frustrated. And there were times where I just told my dad I want to leave. Hmm. But I had a lot of conversations with Lavelle and with Patty, and I tell people this. Patty was in my religion class. He put Patty in my religion class my first semester. You know, and Patty didn't need a degree or anything like that, but she sat up at the front, and she always, when she saw me come in, she waved and said, hey, I got a seat for you, you know. And so this, this, this is, these are my experiences, you know, and that's, that's, you know, that's a testament on what type of person Lavelle was, you know, and a lot of people don't know about that. Your position coach at the time, would it have been Lance? Lance Reynolds, yeah. And most people that I've talked to that have had a Lance Reynolds relationship speak almost uh, the same way about him as they do Lavelle. You know, and and Lance, I I would say when you look at second on the list, behind Lavelle, Lance was that guy, you know. And, And the great thing about Lance is he allowed me to be Jamal when I came here, right? He didn't want to change me he he felt that i was the uh, the right fit here in this culture and he let me be me you know and i think that was the great thing about lance and we always called him easy lance you know <laughs> um he he would allow me to just play the way i play and let me just be who i 
who I was, you know, and I, and that's what I really respected Lance. He was one of my, so he was one of my biggest, biggest role models besides Lavelle here. You made it through your freshman season, ties last season, and you had three more to go here at BYU with uh, a variety of different quarterbacks, oh, yeah. especially in 1992, where they just kind of getting, uh, they kind of get bumped off game by game with injury. Mm-hmm. What are your recollections of, of that sophomore season when Ty's now gone and you guys are trying to find a new direction? You know, it was one of the weirdest years it was. Of, of playing football. You know, the one quarterback after another. A lot of things were really up in the air. It was almost like, you know, you got Norm. He was almost seemed like he was drawing plays as he went. You know what I mean? Because you, I think it, it almost got down to a walk-on quarterback, basically, in one of the games where, you know, he, he hasn't taken any snaps. You know, and it was one of those things where, you know, as players, we never got down. You know, it was one of those things where you, we just knew – our, our identity and BYU's DNA. So we always said, you know, regardless of the situation, we're going to make it through this, you know. So that was a – I don't even know if it was a tough time. I think we just had to – we just figured out that we had to step up, you know, a little bit more as athlete, as players. You know, we had to play a, a bigger role. It was a 1,000-yard season for you as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. You had another 1,000-yard season as a senior mm-hmm. in 1994. In 1993, uh, there was some injury. Yeah, you know, I had the ankle injuries, and you know, it, it was one of those years where it was just, it was just a down year. You know, injury after injury. You know, when you have those ankle injuries as a running back, that's pretty much, <laughs> it almost seals your fate for the season because unless you, you have to almost stay off of it for two months for it to heal. And every time I kept going back in, it just re-injured. You know, so it was that was a tough year for me and a tough year for the team. Six and six that year. Oh yes, yeah, six and six. And I always tell people, hey, you know, we struggled. You know, I mean, they, you know, you look at BYU now, the struggle they're going through. We had the same struggle. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. one of those things where, you know, for for us, we just had to stick together as a team. And you know, we make it. And I always say, you know, BYU, they'll have down years every blue moon, but you know, the the culture and the DNA of the success won't allow it to go on. You know what I mean? It just yeah. it just happens. You just start, you know, getting back on the train. And, and doing what you're supposed to do. In 1994, your senior year, another 1,000-yard season and a 10-win campaign now to finish it off, finish it out the right way with a win over Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, that was a, a great year, and I think a, as well playing Notre Dame that year. And winning at Notre Dame. Exactly, yeah. and I think that really capped off just my career. You know, to go out and to actually perform at a high level in those those big games, you know, where it was just the, the pinnacle of just my career, and it was a great thing to just go in there to have success, win the bowl game, and to beat Oklahoma, you know, and, and really to just continue to set the tone for the legacy of BYU and the culture of BYU. I, I skipped over this when talking about your freshman year, but one of the games I'm sure you get asked about the most was that 52-52 tie at San Diego State. Well, you know, that's where everywhere I go, I mean, that's the first thing people bring <laughs> up when they talk to me that because it was just such of a, a marquee game. You know, I mean, you're talking about you had one of the best running backs in the NFL. You're talking Marshall Falk, you know, and me and him were freshmen that year. It was kind of like a coming – that was my coming out yeah, party. Yeah. I, I really believe that. It was on national TV. And it seemed Late like night. The game seemed like it went on for 10 hours. Yeah. You know, it was just the <laughs> longest game. I think it went after midnight, you know. It, and it was really a game where you had this, you know, obviously tie, you know, just a magical game. You know, it was one of those games where it was just magical – I, really, at halftime, we had no chance. We, we we shouldn't have won that game. We shouldn't have tied it, right? We shouldn't have. And just to look at it and see the the type of plays that we made in that game to put it to a level of where it was a tie, I mean, it was a remarkable game. And as I recall, the tie was equal to a win when it came to the yeah. conference championship. Exactly. And I was like, 
you can tie. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. just so. It was so. It was kind of funny to me because I, you know, I didn't know you could end on a tie anyway. You know, I thought you at least play it yeah. out. You know, so no, it was. You know, I think it was one of that. That was really my coming out party that year. And ironically, two games later, you were back in the same stadium. <laughs> playing to another tie with Iowa in the bowl game. Exactly. <laughs> just, the, just the weirdest thing. And, you know, with, with Iowa, they're a really good team, had a really good running back, and that, that was, those were fun years. I tell you, they were fun. I think about, uh, I think about you and Kalen Hall as kind of a dynamic duo for the last little bit there. Do you think of the same way? You know, yes. You know, and, me, and a lot of people don't know, me and Kalen grew up together. He was a year older than me, and, you know, we grew up as rivals in Vegas. It was uh, Jamal against Kalen. We competed against each other, and w- where his history took him to Dixie and now to BYU, you know, I think that was just a, a, a awesome experience to kind of grow up together, go separate ways, but end up back together, you know, and we were, I, we called ourselves the dy- dynamic duel. We had, I think Kalen had t-shirts made, you know what I mean? And it was just, it was a, f- uh, just, just an uh, awesome opportunity to play with a hometown friend, but you know, Kalen was a, he was a good, really good runner too, so. <laughs> you were long and strong and a strider and he was short and stocky, a little puncher. I mean, it was a fun little contrast. Kalen, he always, I think he mimicked Barry Sanders and yeah. I was Eric Dickerson yeah, he was go. Barry Sanders I was Eric, Eric Dickerson so we were I think we were a good one-two combo and so there we are last Saturday playing at ECU and Kalen's son KJ's running the ball oh yeah you know it's funny because I've watched KJ over the years he played in my youth league years back and you know just like Jaron as well yeah. you know what I mean I've watched those kids Jaron's on a mission right now he'll be he a quarterback is, for BYU. he'll be a quarterback and just just it's amazing to see the the, the talent you know what I mean in our kids right to and your son's him. playing FCS ball up at Weber State exactly he's playing at Weber State he's a lot like me but in a smaller frame right <laughs> so I uh, you know it's it's just awesome to see our kids kind of coming yeah. up through us and, and doing their own thing. You, after leaving BYU, came back to the school in an administrative capacity. Let folks know what you were doing and then what you are doing now. Yes, you know, when I when I came back and I, I went off, you know, after I was done, done playing the NFL and, you know, other things, I came back and got my degree, you know, ended up getting my master's. And, you know, obviously BYU Athletics hired me as an academic coach, okay, for the football team. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I stayed there for six years. And, you know, obviously after that, I wanted to kind of move up and get back into the school districts, right? So I went back and got another master's degree. And, um, you know, I started off as, as a counselor, you know, and then worked my way up to administrator, you know, and, and currently last year, uh, a year ago, I worked at Brighton as administrator there. And then now I'm back in the district offices as a student support specialist. And so my kind of background has been education, you know, and that's something that I've been, you know, been proud of. And it's, it's kind of me, you what, know, what kind of things do you do now in your role? Uh, you know, I, I work with a lot of the administrators when it comes to at-risk youth, right? A lot of kids that are getting into, you know, uh, somewhat breaking safe school violations that we call, you know, where if they're bringing knives or anything like that at school, you know, what we do is try to uh, put together interventions to help them and their families because obviously things are going on. So that's kind of my role is to facilitate that and help them to kind of bridge that gap and to hopefully get back into school and have success. You mentioned your NFL career. How do you look back on, on your pro days? Uh, you know, I mean, I try not to look back too much, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I look back, it was just a great opportunity. And I always say, you know, I, I had the opportunity to play in the NFL. I didn't have a long 10, 15 year career, things like that. But, you know, I, I always go back to BYU and, and BYU football really set the tone for me to get there, right? You know, obviously the coaches and, and the opportunity to play 
at a certain level gave me the opportunity. So I look at, you know, the NFL, it was it was one of those dreams where I got to play and, you know, I didn't play as long as I would like, mm. but, you know, I could always say I made it, right? You know, and obviously playing with Steve Young and Jerry Rice, I mean, those are, hey, I wouldn't <laughs> trade that in for the world, you know? <laughs> Your relationship with the LDS faith, when you came to BYU, there wasn't much of one, right? There wasn't, you know, and obviously I didn't really have a religion. I You know, I could probably count on one hand how many times I went to church growing up, and it was always on holidays. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, and I think, you know, now being a member of the church, you know, I think, it, it, and everybody asked me, you know, was it hard for you to join the church? And I said, no, it was easy. It was one of the easiest things I, you know, had to do, you know, because honestly, I felt I was already living it. You know what I mean? I felt my dad and my parent, my, my, my mom, they, they, they kind of raised me in that way to kind of accept something like this, you know? And so it was an easy thing, you know, it was very easy. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it really, I always say I was good. I was a good kid before I joined the church and the church kind of made me better. Right. And that's how, that's how I always look at it. You alluded to it a little bit earlier, but uh, you know this current football team is is going through its struggles, right? And uh, struggles that are the kind that you didn't have to deal with as a player, and not many BYU players or fans have had to look to for a long, long time. What's your sense now of of, of the way things are and how they could get better? Well, you know, my sense is, you know, I, I don't look at, I don't judge them as a fan, right? For me, I'm a form, former player. I'm one of the guys, even though I'm former, I'm one of these guys that are playing, that are on the field today. And, you know, my thing is it's going to get better. I'm confident. You know what I mean? I, I think there's there's obviously issues, and everybody sees the issues and, and things like that, but they'll get cleaned up. You know, I, I always say it's it's not going to – it's not a – go to practice and clean it up. It's like, you know, let's get the season over. Let's finish out great and, and the best we can, and then let's get into the off season. I think the off season is what's really going to fix a lot of the issues that they're having. And I, and I believe in Kalani. He's the right guy for, for, for BYU. He's, he's a great guy. He, um, he, he knows how to connect. He's, he's, he's a knowledgeable coach. I just think it's, it's so new for everybody. You know, when you look at, he's a head coach now. There's, it's a different role, right? And, and I look at Ty, you know, he's an OC now. You know what I mean? There's a different role. So uh, you just got to give him some time. You know, like I said, it's one year. This is kind of a down year. You know, I, 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 I'm confident that we'll bounce back next year, you know, and that's just the way I, I always say the, the DNA, the culture, the brand will always uh, supersede, you know, us and the players, and we'll have to live up to that, you know, and the success will be back next year. You know, I, I have confidence in that. You have two Twitter handles. Uh, one one is, is your name, and one references something you're involved with. Would you mind uh, telling us about that? Well, you know, and, and it's my cutback brand. And basically, I've been training running backs for like 15 years now. You know, I've been training a lot of high school players. I get people, you know, I get kids that fly in. I get athletes that fly in and want to train with me, you know, and just really sharing a lot of my knowledge and skill set of becoming a running back and playing running back. And so I've been doing that and with a lot of foot speed and things like that locally. And that's kind of been kind of my side job because honestly, I always wanted to coach, you know what I mean? But I, I didn't necessarily want to jump into the coaching realm of coaching in college. So I just said, I'll just coach up kids. You know, I just coach up athletes. You know, I got college athletes I, I train, you know, at running back and things like that. So I think that keeps me, it keeps me involved and keeps me into it. So I enjoy it. Jamal, great to have you in. Greg, thank you. Appreciate it. Jamal Willis joining me behind the mic. Thanks again to Jamal, BYU Deputy AD Brian Santiago, and BYU Sports Nation co-host Jerem Jordan for being a part of tonight's show. We're going to be on hiatus for a few weeks. Our next Behind the Mic broadcast will be on December 13th as BYU basketball takes over the BYU radio airwaves on Wednesday nights for the next few weeks. Speaking of which, stay tuned for the BYU basketball Cougar tip-off. That's next with Mark Durant and me live 
at the Marriott Center. This has been Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, byuradio.org, and the BYU Radio app. Good night. Until next time, go Cougs. Go Cougs.